Welcome Home Radio Podcast. Are you looking to buy or sell your home? Our team is here with answers to guide you through the buying and selling process. We encourage you to ask questions. Please comment on this show or visit us at welcomehomeradio.net for more information. Bringing real estate, lending, and education together in one place and to help you make the right home decision for you and your family. Here are your hosts, Blair Thomas, Tom Holm, Alan Pace, and Jeff Duffy. Welcome to Welcome Home Radio. Today, January 24th, we're looking forward to uh, going forward and talking about some very important issues that exist in the real estate world. And we've got some experts here. Alan Pace, how are you doing today? Hi, Tom. Well, good to see you. And Blair, my co-host, he's not going to be able to speak today because we told him not to say anything. But he's not uh, Jeff, good idea, right, Alan? Yes. Good. And Jeff Duffy's unable to join us today, but our guest today is Brandon O'Brien, and uh, he's with Asset Val and uh, has experience with lots of different things as far as histories in the asset business. And I'll have him do a little self-introduction for himself here real quick uh, to tell us a little bit about where he's coming from and what his background looks like, his histories, and what his favorite color is. (laughs) Thanks, Tom. Yeah, Brandon O'Brien, as Tom said, I'm an appraiser, broker, loan officer. I uh, kind of spend most of my time uh, managing an appraisal management company, I'm also uh, spend time doing my own real estate work and uh, enjoy kind of working on homes as well. So, and if we hear the term AMC, we're not talking about the movie chain, movie theater chain, are we? No, you're talking about the appraisal management company. How did those come about? Tell me a little bit about the history there. I, it's, it, it, the good old days, in the good old days when I used to order appraisals. We had an appraiser. Actually, I worked in a company with an in-house appraiser. So I would be able to walk down the hall and ask Ronnie, hey, Ronnie, what do you think about this value? Do you think we'll be at 175 so I can get rid of mortgage insurance? Was that a good setup? Flintstones. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, the 175, $175,000 valuation I was looking at on the biggest cave that I had uh, done a loan on. But anyway. Yeah, absolutely, Tom. So yeah, the, that, uh, you know, the, the appraisal management company has been around for a while. But, uh, you know, as kind of we've, we've alluded in other uh, sessions we've done. But um, yeah, the, the, the appraisal management company uh, really came into play heavily with Dodd Frank, which was uh, kind of the uh, Congress's, uh, you know, without getting into history there too much, but kind of pushed in uh, some policies that created some uh, separation between the production of the lending environment and the loan origination and the appraiser to kind of separate that influence to push property values and uh, in ways to kind of better bettering for the loan for the uh, homeowner or, or the, uh, the the borrower. Well, and um, uh, again, for our listeners, uh, I think the history is important to understand, you know, uh, 
I think all of this actually involved a lawsuit back in 1994 in New York State. There was a class action lawsuit brought by the Attorney General then, uh, Anthony Cuomo, who uh, uh, brought this against the lending industry and the realtors and said, look, we're causing undue pressure for people like Brandon sitting in their office or Ronnie. I mean, when that lawsuit was first filed, I went down to Ronnie's office and said, Ronnie, what do you think about all this? I mean, don't you think uh, you should know if I need 175 for the value on the property? And he just looked at me and shook his head and like he normally would. Because the reality is that, you know, we need to always have that separation. You represent bottom line, the investor and their interest when we talk about an appraisal being done and lending too much as far as an investor is is concerned, um, that that is not favorable for them. And at the same time, they want to maximize the dollars they're investing uh, to the proper loan to values that you guys come up. So a lot of our conversation today is going to kind of revolve around ethics and how those ethics have been built in the business. I know sometimes people look at lenders and cuss us out and say, well, nobody's watching you and nobody, you know, there is no rain on you, blah, 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 blah. And prior to 2008, that was probably very true as far as lenders were concerned. But that was also a mixture of the industry, not only just lenders, but appraisers, realtors, title companies. Everybody was in it to show and get as and receive as much profitability as they possibly could. And by that, you would do that by increasing values of properties. That's that's kind of a key issue that comes along when we talk about those situations. One of the things that I wanted to uh, address today as far as ethics are concerned does deal with the uh, recent research, and this has been in the media, uh, about the fact that appraisers have been given challenges here recently, and they stage houses with different ethnicities in those houses and find valuations change according to the different ethnicities. And usually minority homes, if it's indicated that a minority lives there, uh, then there's the possibility of coming in with a lower value than there would be if it was a non-minority couple staged in the house itself. And that was the only thing they did with changing that. Do you have any comments as to, you know, that type of work that's been done here recently in research? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I've, <clears throat> I've been at a lot of uh, conferences where this has been a topic. Uh, I've uh, been involved with parties that have kind of put into place some new guidance and also uh, in places where some of those 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 individuals spoke specifically on their experience around that. And so, yeah, it's definitely something that uh, I think um, the industry as a whole has put a lot of focus and energy to make sure that the industry, uh, not just the appraisal world, but, uh, but specifically in the appraisal world, we're, we're, we're being attentive and making sure there's no, uh, no ill intent or negative influence into the process. And tell us a little bit about, because I know you've had some education on this, tell us about some of the bias or anti-bias training that you've received uh, or you've been involved with, because I know you're actively, I mean, the people that, of course, I deal with, I, I, 
I have no doubts that the, the only color that they're worried about is green. Um, but for the, you know, our listeners today, just so that they understand, tell us about some of the stopgap measures and some of the, the things that have been put in place to help us be a, more aware of our circumstances when we're doing things like evaluating a property and it's minority type held property. Uh, yeah, absolutely. There's there's a cascade of different things going up from the individual that interacts with the borrower or interacts with the property specifically, I would say, going all the way up to the lender uh, in the channels everywhere in between. I mean, we, we do, um, um, you know, for, for the specific individual appraiser, right? I mean, we're, there's no... Um, uh, specific requirements to go do any training at an, at an individual appraisal level, but a lot of the uh, um, continuing education providers have put a lot of programs together. Uh, I myself have done uh, quite a few of those through various online channels. And then also going to a lot of the conferences as well. They do. We have people that represent that are represented there at the GSE level, even some of the programs at the, the Mortgage Bankers Association at some of their national conferences are doing a lot of that as well. And so I think the individual appraiser is being uh, well exposed and getting a lot of uh, support. In, in looking at ways to <clears throat> help identify where that may become a, an issue or potentially a conflict or challenge, um, all the way up to specifically in the appraisal world uh, where the appraisal management companies are in place, all uh, like specifically our company, we have a lot of that training specifically to make sure we're looking for things in our QC process. Some of it is very challenging to identify, but as we're reviewing and QCing and, and reading, um, we, we make sure we review and read the comments to make sure there's nothing in there direct, directly, for example. Um, and then also just trying to study the data, that utilizing the data we have to make sure that everything's consistent when we're in a market. Some of that, some of that uh, process is not unique, uh, and some of it is specifically uh, specifically focused to be uh, looking for those things that may be uh, driven to a bias. And can you address maybe one of those things that might be specific to that point that you've studied or you've been exposed to? Yeah, I think there's a, a couple things I would point to. I mean, one, there's always some, <clears throat> you know, we haven't specifically seen it, but some of the illustrations that have been brought up and some of the some of the uh, committee meetings that have been done um, in Washington, um, you know, pointed to certain terminology that was in there in the appraisal specifically that the appraiser pointed out that, um, you know, uh, maybe utilize terms that um, maybe maybe weren't directly derogatory, but maybe lend uh, led to the uh, appraiser maybe being influenced because of being in a specific area. Um, whether it's you know, just to use one example, maybe it they pointed out criminal activity, um, certain things that necessarily you you probably wouldn't have put never pointed out in the appraisal, for example. Um, and, and, and I don't think unless there's something directly that's impacting the property, uh, external influence, you know, backing to a, uh, you know, a, 
a grocery store, backing to something that impacts the property. Uh, so we we look at that, and that's some of the things that uh, I think a lot of people have uh, pointed to is some of the derogatory, or not, maybe not necessarily derogatory comment, just just comments that maybe might allude to the fact that the appraiser leaned maybe on the lower end than maybe he would have if that wasn't a uh, a factor in a different neighborhood. You know, one of the things that I, I was exposed to in one of my uh, conversations regarding this was uh, interesting about religion uh, being a factor uh, in determination of value. And uh, I learned a, a, an important lesson from an appraiser about the fact that if you live close to the synagogue in the Jewish religion, uh, that there's a uh, certain distance from the synagogue that is designated as a, a more sacred area because it allows you to walk to the synagogue on uh, pat, uh, your, your day's uh, of rest. And uh, were you aware of that as far as that goes, that there's actually these areas that are around the synagogue and thusly, those areas when a Jewish person is asking, well, where uh, where do I go to buy a house near other Jewish people? You as a realtor, what would you answer that, Alan? How would you answer that? You're a realtor. If I'm a Jewish person and I say I want to live near more Jewish people. Well, I just want to say it's in my 21 years of doing this, it's never happened. But um, a lot of folks have done their research on their own and they'll have a general area in mind. And my job is to help them, um, you know, find their landing spot. And I really, you know, I just respond to what their needs are and I'm happy to help them, whatever those needs are. Well, and that, that, that again is the perfect response as far as what we would do in our business with regards to that, uh, turning it back to the person saying, look, uh, you need to be able to talk with your rabbi about how far the, the Shabbat area is that you would live in and I, uh, uh, that is walking distance because, of course, they're not supposed to, uh, Orthodox Jews aren't supposed to be using cars or mechanical vehicles in, in on the day of the Sabbath to get to uh, uh, the synagogue for their uh, services. So again, we get into kind of weird things that are out there that people are not aware of. Brandon, can you think of anything else kind of strange along those lines? Uh, I mean, there's there's so many different variations, you know, just, just influencing property value, right? I mean, just in that topic alone, right? There, there, there is, I mean, you could study and potentially see that there's a, a higher price uh, or higher overall average values in that proximity. I mean, it's not hard to do. I, I live in one of these areas that would be kind of unofficially classified in that sense. Um, and, you know, there's there's a demand specifically in our neighborhood. So exactly. we can be so you can be close and in and, and, and the it's hard to quanti potentially quantify that. That's where as, as an appraiser, you, you, you really stick to uh, finding homes that are in that neighborhood, right? Because if you jump out, you know, you may not be using the best indicators of value. And, and honestly, I don't, I don't know if that's much different than the proximity of walking to the beach or 
proximity to plenty of things in the value world, um, specifically talking about value, uh, I don't know if it's much different in that scenario, uh, being walkable to a lot of different things, uh, definitely increase that value. Now, you know, depending on where it is, but, um, you know, proximity is, is still a, a lo locational factor that drives value. Being voted off the island today. Well, I, I was going to say, I'm getting worried with Blair not saying anything. Weren't you, Alan? <laughs> I'm just sitting here loving that he's not frozen in his screen. <laughs> Brandon, a question I have about proximity. One of the things that I think is undervalued, or at least something in my knowledge base, is what we experienced three years ago with the uh, frozen chosen type situation is that being within a mile of a hospital, fire department, or police station is very important because those areas don't lose power, period, where you can have rolling brownouts to blackouts in other areas. Do you see evaluation increase due to that little tidbit of location uh, and a, a value of home? Because I know... Alan has seen a few people aware of this situation asking for, I'm looking for a home within this parameter. So is there a value there or is that not non-existent? You, you know, there may be a value there um, quantifying it and, and, and giving it a adjustment is, is probably, I don't know if I've ever been able to, to extract something out of that, out of the data when we sit up and do an appraisal, we, we do what's called pair sales analysis and we, we, we kind of grid this stuff out and we start seeing where uh, certain things drive value. Um, that's not one that I've been able to quantify. And so it, it may be, it's definitely a value. I think uh, we might be in, in that area as well. And it may, cause when, when everyone was out, our, our power was still on. And so I'll tell you, it's worth something. I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't have to buy a generator. Price up. <laughs> I mean, I don't have to buy a generator. I don't have to be. I mean, it's just a knowledge base of comfort of buying a home and being aware that I'm not going to lose power no matter what, since I'm within that parameter by law. And those are priority areas. So well, we are literally a block away from the fire department and. We used to complain about the siren noise and never again. I never love again, right? I just, heard, I just heard our fire engine go off. It's about a block and a and half I, from me. And I thought, oh, that's music to my ears. I'm thinking I'm going to mark my, my house up 5% more just because you brought that up. I would. It's <laughs> going to be on my listing when I sell mine. Absolutely will be there. <laughs> Historically, has not fallen apart during snowbageddons. <laughs> <laughs> no reason to buy a generator. I can see a, an appraiser putting that in their comments. <laughs> Could happen if Texas keeps losing electricity during the winter or summer or whatever. I know it right? could very well happen. So. Go ahead, Blair. I know you have one more question. You I, no, I. I, that's what I wanted to ask was, is there, how is that evaluated? Because that, that to me is very important, but how do you appraise or put that value equitably in there? Uh, I know it's not on the topic of what we're seeing here. And, and I actually, I, I didn't even know this topic was a concern. I, I really didn't. Um, 
until you brought it up, it's a shame that our society has gotten to that point that they've evaluated appraisers and probably changed out pictures, changed out things just to see what they would do evaluation differently. But I guess the scrutiny is, is needed because all you're doing is evaluating a piece of property. You're not evaluating the people that live there. Correct. And, and that's very sad um, view in my part, just for my grandkids, what they're doing, my kids dealing with and in the buying process at all four of them in situations. Uh, but I guess it's reality as well. Well, and I, I wanted to ask Brandon something else. You know, I was uh, I'm from Fort Worth originally, and uh, there's an elementary school over there and people fight to be within that Fort Worth ISD elementary school. Uh, not necessarily doesn't matter if their kids are middle school age or high school age, they'll, they'll send them maybe to private school at that point. Can that influence as far as a value is concerned, just that type of factor where you have a specifically highly rated elementary school that people want to go to? Can that raise a value in that specific school district area where I literally you would have one house next to another house and the next house goes to another elementary school than the school that's preferred or loved or liked or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, <clears throat> that's been a factor as long as I've been appraising. So it's nothing unique. Um, it, it, nothing unique to a lot of other things that drive value as well, locationally. Um, but yeah, there's there's plenty of school districts that that drive and, and even down to specific school lines, whether it's the elementary, junior high and all the way up to high school or it's just specific to that elementary school. Um, absolutely. Uh, is that something the realtor promotes as far as with you? I mean, is it good for a realtor to leave their valuation assessments right there, their broker opinions? Uh, for you to have a copy of those and be able to see what they were basing their values on. Is that a good recommendation for people like Alan to get off their keister and do that for everybody? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a good idea, whether it's a hard paper or they, you know, I have, I have them reach out and ask for my email or they just email me stuff unsolicited and say, Hey, here, I've got this here. Here's what, you know, here's my CMA. Here's some comps. Uh, that I kind of looked at when I was doing this. And by the way, um, yeah, here's here's the improvements. All right. Give us all that insight, uh, whatever you can do to help our job easier. Absolutely. Alan was very defensive posture there for a second. <laughs> you know I mean, oh, he's OK, I'm sure. Well, he leaned in, so he's got a question. Or I, I know he's got something he wants to say. No, I just, I thought that was very good advice, Brandon. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, do our job for us, Alan. Come on. <laughs> it's okay. I love it. We got to remember who the, the recession was caused by, the realtors or the appraisers. It wasn't the lenders. We know that. <laughs> no, I think there's some common sense to all that. I mean, you want, as a realtor, you want success for your client and whatever that means, you, you know, you go that mile. So that's all good information. Um, you, you try to let your sellers know that obviously uh, most of them do know, you know, 
you got different kinds of sellers. You got the kind that just want out, they don't care, and you got the kind that want to get top dollar. So depending on who your client is, that's who you're dealing with and what you're working with. And um, it's fun. So you see all the different scenarios and situations out here. I kind of wanted to change course unless somebody else has some other questions here. I want to change course because Brandon, I know you deal uh, in touch in the commercial world as well. Uh, talk to us a little bit about what you're seeing with regards to the commercial world and the trends in it right now. I understand, of course, a lot of people, uh, uh, you know, have been highly invested or as far as commercial investments in office buildings. But I've been reading several articles that a lot of these leases are coming due as far as uh, five and seven years or 10 years after they've been written. And with the advent of COVID and the way we do our workplace now, office buildings may not or they may be being affected in a negative way as far as valuation is concerned. What's, what's your take on that as far as the commercial world is is going? Yeah, well, that, <clears throat> when you get into commercial, it's it, I guess no different than than residential. I mean, you, it's 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 a locational factor, right? State by state, city by city. Um, you know, you you look at the Texas in general, right? I mean, Texas has has gone crazy with uh, multifamily. I mean, multifamily still going uh, all over the place. Still constant building, still uh, plan, consistent planning for the Dallas-Fort Worth area and beyond. Um, same with San Antonio, Austin, Houston. I mean, you, you name it. And so, but absolutely, when it comes to that uh, office space, uh, non-industrial uh, type environment, um, I think they're still filling that out. Uh, it's hard to say. You know, we I, I talk to a lot of uh, people in industry that are. Uh, heavily pushing people back. Um, they're giving a, a minimum two days. You have to be in the office, three days in the office. Um, you know, they're, they're really trying to drive that. And so it'll be interesting to see how it all pans out. But, um, you know, has it been, is it, a, is it a topic of concern right now of what that, those properties are going to be, uh, what, the, what they're going to be valued and, and considered on the market, what their overall market value will be? I mean that's that's still up in the up in the air. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how it all turns out. But yeah, I don't I don't know if I've you know <clears throat> had any personal direct uh, uh, conversations around that where I've seen. I'm just kind of following what the industry's uh, kind of putting out on the NBA level and such. You know, back in the day in my previous career, I used to work in Houston a lot, and there wasn't any zoning to speak of. You'd have a factory next to a house. It was so interesting down there and. It just was unbelievable, really. But you would have houses and businesses right next to each other. And the, the owner of the company I was calling on, he goes, yeah, the housing, the, the zoning down here is just totally different. And uh, I've not seen it anywhere else, but um, I just thought that was interesting. I don't even know if that's even possible anymore. But you ever run into that? Where, yeah, what, what market was that? I'm sorry, Alan. I was in Houston. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I, I haven't come across that. I mean, Houston is that anomaly. And I will say I've seen I've spent uh, uh, five years living in California and there's definitely some of that there as well. 
Um, but yeah, you know, I don't in in Houston area has just driven right through that. Right, you get up in northern northern uh, part into Conroe and other areas like that and Woodlands, you don't really run into that as much. No, this but, was down in the heart of Houston, and it was yeah. very interesting. Uh, even in Dallas, I never saw it back in those days. But anyway, I haven't seen it since. So I'm sure it's on its way out. Yeah, well, we're going to see a lot of conversion of commercial real estate office buildings into mixed-use mixed apartment and retail, I bet, as, as we're already seeing malls and other, other areas being converted into that type of living and business combination. So uh, commercially, I, I think we're going to be hurting here because, again, the jobs market um, – I don't know where businesses are doing. They're stalling, they're hiring, they're slowing down. Uh, we can't admit that we're in a recession for some, and that's my opinion, but that's how I see it. Well, that's interesting too. And you had the fact Dallas just went over 8 million, the DFW area on population. So people got to live somewhere. People are right. moving to Texas. That is for sure. And we are in a great, great area of the country, but our whole country has to heal. And if we can't admit that we're sick, then uh, there's a problem. Well, you keep freezing, so are you okay? <laughs> I'm fine. <laughs> okay, good. Maybe y'all's link is not as good, huh? <clears throat> well, except for the fact words are coming out and then your picture probably shows the words <laughs> afterwards. Anybody that watches this today will say, well, did he have a ma mannequin next to him? And he was, <laughs> hello, my name is Blair. How are things going today? Yes, I'm working on my ventriloquist work. So Very nice. My Good secondary work. job. We can appreciate that. Brandon, sorry we did digress as far as that goes. Help us with some final thoughts as far as what you see in the marketplace, what you're getting a feel for investments as far as any investments that might be good that you see are undervalued right now use that valuation experience and tell us what use your crystal ball for me please oh man it, it's so tough right now um, you know i think there's opportunities out there i think you've got to you know just in the investor world it's specific to um residential um just not as much on the market so you really have to find them uh, and always the best deals are off market but you definitely got to dig in and find those deals that are um you know in a, in a more unique way but uh yeah i don't <clears throat> i don't know I, I think it's hard to tell where where the industry is in the in the investor space is going right now i think we, we're definitely in a slow point uh, we'll see when the spring kicks off to see how uh, investors pick up. But, uh, you know, some of the things that I've seen more specifically is trying to find opportunities where you had a single property and it's zoned in a place where you could put a duplex up. That's been a big factor. Okay. Um, City of Dallas is trying to push that. I don't know how that panned out, but I think uh, I, I'm fine with areas that are zoned for two units or four units to stay that way, uh, moving stuff from a single to 
uh, a multi scenario um, really should be uh, <clears throat> you should really stop and look at that to see what the preponderance is and what a real need is more than just doing it. I'm seeing more and more veterans right now since we do a VA construction loan buying or looking at building quadplexes so that they can have a primary, but they're renting out the other three. And it, it seems to be a good business sense for them right now. So opportunity there, as you're saying. That's an interesting program. That That's a good program to mention as far as that goes. The construction type programs, do you get much of that type of specialty type of appraisal like 203Ks or even reverse mortgage programs? Do you see more of those? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if there's any been a spike of 203K as much as, uh, you know, anything else. Um, having, uh, you know, we do at Asset Value, we do, do work with a, a few reverse lenders. And so that's been pretty steady. Um, you know, that's also driven on, you know, locational markets and property values, right? Because the higher the value, the more that they can get. Yeah, I was going to ask, are you seeing the higher valued homes with uh, reverse mortgages or is it still, you know, blue collar kind of 270, 250 range, which is. Uh, you know, I haven't looked at, at that level, but I'll tell you what I do see. It seems all over the place. I mean, OK, that's what I thought. Yeah, I mean, people are the we see financial advisors actually making this kind of part of their plan nowadays where they say, well, you can downsize, you can buy another house. But when they buy the next house, they, they want kind of the same amenities they had before, just less yard and, you know, a newer home with less problems. Absolutely. Well, they can do that with a with a reverse mortgage by just putting down half of what they are, are needing put down on the house, a $500,000 house, they could put 250 down on it and get a 250 mortgage. So if they made $400,000 on the sale of their house, they're walking away with an extra 150, they're not going to pay taxes on. So in other words, we're seeing it, the, it's not a mortgage of last resort anymore. It becomes in some cases, a, a mortgage of financial planning for people that need to be able to use that product because 47% of the people that retire in the United States, their sole source of income at the age of 62, their sole source of income is Social Security. And a lot of people don't realize Social Security was never intended to be a retirement plan. It was supposed to be a subsidy plan for retirement, not a retirement plan itself. But yeah, anyway, but companies aren't supporting their pension programs anymore for people like they when they set up that plan. Yeah. And so you have to actively that. take part of the 401ks your companies offers instead because they don't offer yeah. pension plans. You're right. With the 401k, the beauty of the 401k, of course, if you've got a, like I do, where you have an employer that matches, you're getting three, four, five, six percent. I was talking with my daughter over the break and her company matches up to six percent. And I said, man, if you're not putting six percent in Max there. It out. You are crazy as a loon. Max it out. That's right. She, she, when did she, you get your financial light planner's license there, Tom? Well, you know, that's a really good good idea. <laughs> Maybe I should do that next. Uh, well, I agree with you. The heck of a purchase program that allows, I think it's going to free up a lot of baby boomers once they understand that they can get out of their home, 
sell it and put do a heckum for purchase and never have a mortgage payment, but buy an updated home, lower maintenance, refresh it. And that's going to open up the market a little bit more as well. So it is a great financial tool for those that are in the baby boomer age. So, because I mean, Texas and, and uh, I think it's Texas and Utah are the only two states that require 62 or older. Others are 55. And so it can be used in other states at a younger age. Exactly right. Brandon, what we're trying to do is solve the housing uh, shortage problem here. So you can, you started that with your duplex, triplex stuff. So. <laughs> Just in case you were wondering which rabbit hole we were going down in this particular case. Sure. <laughs> well, I really appreciate it again today, Brandon. How would uh, people, if they want to get hold of you, what uh, would you recommend as far as that do? Email or call you direct or call you at two o'clock in the morning? What, what would you like us to put up there to, to allow them to contact you, your email address? Uh, sure. Yeah, we can put that up. Uh, you put up B-O-B-R-I-A-N-T at the letter I, the number two, R-E dot com. Very good. Well, we appreciate you being here today and being yeah. with us. Your information has been valuable and, uh, Hopefully this has helped some of our listeners come with uh, some other ideas on the marketplace and have a different perspective on the valuation process in particular. I'm Tom Holm. I'm with Champion School of Real Estate. Love you guys and have a great, hopefully your first month of your new year is going wonderfully. And I'm Blair Thomas. And I'm Alan Pace. God bless. Welcome Home Radio production provided by Lunatic Digital. Check the listing of this podcast for the links to our sponsors. And don't forget to like, share, and follow us on social media. Visit welcomehomeradio.net for more information. This was a Lunatic Digital production. Visit lunaticdigital.com for all your digital needs.